Welcome to the Bicom podcast. I'm Jack Jackman, Senior Research Associate at Bicom, and I'm delighted to be joined for a discussion on issues affecting the Arab-Israeli community in the aftermath of October 7th by Mohammed Darawasha. Mohammed is a leading expert on Jewish-Arab relations. He's the Director of Planning, Equality and Shared Society at Givat Haviva Educational Center and a fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute. In 2008, Mohammed was elected as a city council member in his hometown, Iqsal, and in 2009, he served as a member of the National Committee, which drafted Israel's coexistence education policy. Mohammed, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Great to be with you. I'd like to start, if it's okay with you, um, with asking you to, to recount your and your, your family's experience of October 7th. It, it was a tragic day for your family. Yes, indeed. Uh, it was a tragic day, and it seems that it's not over. We feel that it, uh, the day is, uh, is a long day that uh, doesn't have an end yet, maybe because it is so strongly connected with the war incidents. Uh, we actually got a phone call at 8.15 in the morning uh, of October 7th uh, from the phone of our cousin Awad, who was stationed from two nights before at uh, the supernova party in the south, which was attacked. Uh, and the call said that uh, our cousin was injured uh, and everyone fled the scene. Then the phone got dropped and we couldn't call back. We tried to call back. We couldn't connect with anyone. And we were actually at loss for six days. We knew he got injured, uh, but uh, then we started to find uh, his teammates that were with him, the team, the medical team that was uh, with him on, on, on the scene. There were six people, three ambulances. He, Awad was a, both a paramedic and an ambulance driver himself. And uh, once the first wave of the attack came in, uh, him and his team started running around uh, to care for the injured and wounded people. Uh, immediately when bullets started coming closer, uh, the head of the team uh, ordered evacuation because uh, danger was uh, too imminent and too close to the, uh, to the medical staff there. Uh, he felt the danger and uh, they started running away. They begged him to leave. He refused to leave. He said that there were injured people that, uh, or the party goers that he needed to attend to them. And uh, he refused. He said to them, you go, I'll manage. I think I'll manage because I speak Arabic. That was his message. And they still begged him to leave. They told him that it's too dangerous. And he said, no, you go, I'll manage. I speak Arabic, you go. That was the only discussion they would they could have, have with him. They started running away for good reason. We don't blame them for doing that. And kept calling on him to leave. Uh, and when they looked back after about 70 yards, they saw him getting shot. And uh, that's it, actually. We, we didn't hear anything more. Uh, three days later, uh, all bodies were evacuated because bodies laid there for three days because there was a danger that some of them are booby-trapped. Uh, so they didn't evacuate him immediately. But when he was found, he was still found with bandages in his hands, 
bandages that he didn't have time to put them on on the wounds of the people he was uh, treating. And uh, he had two bullets, one of them in his heart. And uh, on the fifth day, uh, we, we got called to provide uh, DNA samples and the family provided DNA samples. And on the sixth day, they recognized the body and uh, handed it to us. And uh, we accompanied him to his last home, to the graveyard, uh, with a huge uh, ceremony, funeral, with about 40 ambulances that accompanied him. Uh, his team that was with him, all of the paramedics that knew him, and uh, they came with their ambulances with a parade in front of him, treating him as a hero with about 20,000 people that accompanied him. And uh, so we remember him as uh, as a person that was the most selfless person. Uh, he kept his humanity. He kept his medical oath to the last breath that he took, the last muscle, kept holding on the bandages in his hands. He didn't let go of those bandages. And... Uh, he brought us a great deal of, of pain and agony, but also a great deal in, of honor in his action, uh, where his selflessness was the icon that he left us with. May his soul rest in peace. Mohammed, I want to thank you very much for your for your openness in sharing that that with us. And I'm sure all our listeners join me in in saluting Awad's extraordinary bravery and in Sending you and your family uh, our, our very sincere condolences. Um, Thank you very much. I'd like to turn now to the the Arab-Israeli experience in in the aftermath of that terrible day. We've seen some striking opinion polling uh, recently showing very high levels of Arab-Israeli identification with the country as a whole. Can you explain some of that polling for our listeners and and also offer your thoughts as as to why you think those figures have been so high? There are a few polls that are testing two things, actually. One, what Arab citizens citizens think about the October 7th attack. And consistently, we've seen almost somewhere around 85% of Arab citizens opposing the attack of uh, Hamas and opposing the uh, attack on civilians in more specific. And there you get 95% support. We still have 2% that uh, do support the attack, uh, and that's uh, 2%, which is 2% more than what we need. But the massive voice of the Arab citizens is that this attack was wrong, and especially the attack against Israeli civilians was much, much much more wrong. There are a number of reasons. One, because of the human cost that it brought to Israeli society, which we are part of. Uh, and uh, second, because there were many Arab citizens also killed and injured in the attack and also kidnapped. Uh, and this is also, which which also made us part of the victims. Uh, so we're not distant. We're not looking at distant Israeli Jewish victims. We are part of the victims. Awad was one of them but there were many uh, Bedouin uh, citizens that were killed. Many of them were trying to also 
help. <coughs> Many of them were trying also to help evacuate Jewish Israelis uh, from the scene to try to save their lives. Uh, we know at least of another nine uh, Arab uh, Bedouin citizens that also died as heroes trying to save uh, fellow countrymen uh, from the uh, violence. So we were we were part of the event. Uh, we were part of the event in two areas, one as victims, but also as rescuers. Uh, and that affected the psyche of Arab citizens that were part of the, were part of the issue. Uh, the second is that we didn't see the, uh, the political justification for this attack. And uh, uh, you know it's different than in May 21 when we felt that there was a, 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 there was right on the side of the Palestinians, which was defending Al-Aqsa Mosque, which we see ourselves as part of the defense of the desecration of Al-Aqsa Mosque. Here, uh, it was very different. Al-Aqsa was not part of the story, and uh, there was a feeling that this was purely political military act on behalf of Hamas, which we do not want to be part of. Uh, and we do not align with it. And uh, the, the other kind of polling is uh, how do you identify today, you know, do you identify more with Israel than before or not? Just to show an interesting uh, contradiction, in May uh, 2023, the identification with the country as a whole was 48%. Today, it's 70%. Uh, so I, I can't call it patriotism, uh, but at least I, I think it's more practical uh, approach that Arab citizens know exactly what's their identity. The Israeli component of the identity is very obvious, mainly because we know that even after the creation of the Palestinian state, we're going to remain Israeli citizens. And we need to hold on that identity, the Israeli identity, uh, also during time of crisis. Uh, so yes, we do have our Palestinian identity, but we don't see it as, as competing with our Palestinian identity. And uh, when uh, push comes to shove, and we are needed to uh, uh, exemplify where we, who we are, we are Israeli citizens that want to remain part of the Israeli legitimate uh, Israeli society uh, during war because we want to be part of the legitimate Israeli society the day after war. So if we pull ourselves outside legitimacy today, we will find ourselves out, outside legitimacy tomorrow. Uh, I think it's a very mature uh, uh, mindset that is evolving in the Arab community. I mean, luckily, it's not just me saying it. It's a collective identity that comes in in in, uh, in polls, which uh, which shows a great deal of responsibility and maturity of the Arab citizens as a minority that acts responsibly during during crisis time. Uh, we're seeing this in, in in the medical industry also, where almost third of the medical teams in Israeli hospitals and ambulances and pharmacies, a third of the medical staff in Israel are Arab citizens. Where are they today, Jack? They're, they're in their shifts. They're doing their work, committed to their action, to their work, and to their mission. The same thing with 60% of the of the truck drivers. 
uh, 60% of the bus drivers, uh, the taxi drivers, they're all reporting to duty during time of crisis and saying, we don't want to be part of the work. We want to maintain our jobs. We want to maintain our relationship with our Israeli Jewish colleagues. And uh, that this is more important than picking uh, uh, the, the picking sides, political sides today, and definitely not to get dragged into the violent nature of Palestinian Israeli relations today. Thank you, Mohammed. I, a sort of related question to that. The Israeli journalist Nadav Ayal tweeted recently, I think it might even have been yesterday, that, that some figures in Arab Israeli society have opposed the release of, of specifically Arab Israeli terror prisoners in the hostage exchange with Hamas. Is he right? And what's your interpretation of that opposition? Well, I think that, first of all, the Nadavial's report is very correct. And it's not just some figures in Arab society. It's the majority of Arab uh, society and all of the families of uh, the Arab citizens refuse to be included in the in the uh, in this exchange, uh, we are not part of this war, and we don't want to be a side effect of this war. We don't want our uh, it, you know most of the names that are included are uh, Arab students that have posted some stupid Facebook post that is in the wrong time that was translated in the eyes of Israeli Jewish public as support for terror. I think it's an exaggeration in how Israeli Jewish society sees that. I don't think Arab citizens support terror, but it was maybe some stupid mistakes that some Arab students made, mistakes that shouldn't have been made, mistakes that they get punished by them, by the, they get punished for them by the Israeli legal system. But to become part of the regional conflict, this will tarnish the uh, image of those students as if they are part of a terror machine uh, or as if they are part of an outside enemy to Israeli society. This will affect those individuals forever. So they, it's not just a small crime that they've committed. Their names will become tarnished completely, that they are part of a terror machine and part of a Hamas machine. And they will bring also a great deal of damage to the image of the Arab community as if they are part of, of this uh, terror machine. We don't want to be part of the Hamas machine. We don't want to be part of the war between Israel and Hamas. We don't want to be, we don't want our names and our families and our community uh, to be included, not even benefit from this side benefit of release of prisoners. No, even the families of, of those uh, uh, students that are included in the list have refused for their kids to be released. That I mean, if we have, if we would have, uh, if we would ask also the students themselves, believe me, they would also say we don't want to be released as part of this deal because they know their future will be completely tarnished. They're they're done. They will be seen as part of a terror group forever. When they did not choose to be part of a terror group, they did not choose to be part of the of the problem. They don't want to be on the list of Hamas, and we don't want to be also on the list that Israel proposes to Hamas. You know, some some of people in the Israeli government are proposing their names, exchanging with the names of Arab citizens. We are not part of that. We are choosing not to be part of the conflict and not to get the, uh, dragged into this in any way. Uh, whoever is putting the names of Arab citizens is trying to 
either uh, uh, just uh, score points to drag us into this uh, conflict for their own political benefit, not for the benefit of the Arab community. Thank you, Mohammed. Talk to us, if you if you will, about some of the uh, some of the other difficulties that Arab Israeli communities have faced since October seven, in what is a very fearful wider Israeli culture. Well, much of the Israeli uh, fear that uh, has uh, is even developing uh, since October seventh. Uh, you know, and some of that fear is even reminding the Jewish public with the phobias of uh, of the Holocaust. Uh, you know, we and, and I understand the fear. The fear I'm very exposed to that fear, and it's legitimate fear. The problem is how is that reflected in the Arab citizens. And unfortunately, uh, very often we're seeing uh, this fear uh, exemplifying itself on uh, attacks on Arab citizens. We've seen few demonstrations with chants, death to the Arabs and attacks on Arab students. For example, at Netanya College, kicking Arab students from the dormitories in a very ugly uh, incident. Uh, we've seen uh, I spoke already about the arrests of almost 300 Arab citizens when in court, 90% uh, of them are sent home because there is no legal uh, basis for the arrest and the police is uh, using uh, inadequate consideration and the police was even criticized by the Attorney General for uh, illegal, that's the term that the Attorney General used, illegal arrests of Arab citizens including some heads of the Arab community that wanted to stage a small demonstration of 20 people. They were arrested before the demonstration, before even breaking any law. And also the Attorney General related to that. It feels some kind of a witch hunting, some kind of a McCartism that certain elements in the police are trying to practice. The other two arenas is expulsion of some Arab students from university for posts that they put in social media, posts that most of them were, did not cross any red line, like people that have changed their profile picture uh, into a black, into black, uh, and Israeli Jews described that or uh, understood that as if it is mourning the death of Palestinian terrorists when the, there was no intention to, to say that. Uh, but the Israeli Jewish public jumps to a conclusion uh, that uh, the Arab citizens are part of the enemy and any small act like that is translated and magnified to huge uh, dimensions. Uh, we've seen many Arab citizens that have lost their work, seven doctors also for very unsuccessful posts that they put, uh, 13 Arab uh, lawyers that have been kicked out from the uh, board uh, the, uh, from the uh, lawyer's board. I don't, I don't know what's the right frame for it. Uh, we, we, we're seeing Israeli Jewish public sphere shrinking to the Jewish voice and Jewish narrative only. You see that in talk shows on radio and television, almost complete absence of Arab commentators and Arab guests that speak on, on radio or shown on television. Uh, so when, from one end, as I said, I understand the Jewish fear, I appreciate it, and I connect with it uh, very much. But to see Arab citizens as 
the scapegoat for the anger of Israeli Jewish society and maybe the frustration uh, from not reaching the goals of the war uh, that Israel set to itself. Uh, they thought maybe that they will accomplish the goals of uh, uh, ending Hamas's rule and or releasing all of the uh, kidnapped Israelis. They couldn't do this uh, that quickly. So that anger and frustration is exemplifying itself on uh, the Arab citizens in a non-fair way. Uh, and I'm afraid actually if, of, if this increasing, especially on October, I'm sorry, on December 24th, when universities are supposed to start, half of the Israeli students, uh, uh, half of the Israeli students are now in active military service in Gaza. And when they come back on the 24th of December to universities, they would have gone through a very hard, uh, hardening uh, militarization uh, of their mindsets. And I'm afraid of what the encounter they might have with 18-year-old new fresh Arab students that are coming to universities. Uh, so we're still, you know, the damage is still happening as we speak. And we're trying to engage with damage control as much as we can. Uh, but the, the Israeli Jewish public, to the most part, is behaving also responsibly. But we're seeing some uh, uh, margins of it that are behaving very, very irresponsibly. And some of those margins are certain uh, government agencies that are led by extreme radicals. Thank you, Mohammed. We'll, we'll come later to to your own work, um, working to to bridge those those divides later. But before we do that, I'd like to take a slight step back. Over the last two or three years, on the political front, we've seen what appear on the surface to be some contradictory uh, trends amongst the Arab Israelis. Our, our listeners will remember what you've already mentioned, the civil unrest of, of May 2021, which was then followed by, by a relatively successful election in that year for the Ballad Party and for its platform of, of not cooperating with Jewish Zionist parties. That same election then sees Mansour Abbas's Ram Party take the unprecedented step of, of joining the change government. So a very different strategy to Balat. At the 2022 elections, although that government falls, Ram actually has a very good election, certainly much better than, than Balat. In your opinion, do these contradictory trends point to a sort of fundamental political division amongst Arab Israelis, or is that too simplistic? And how do you foresee October 7th and the war in Gaza affecting political attitudes moving forward? Well, for the later part, how do I see this affecting moving forward? We will need another session because uh, October 7th, as I said, is not over. I mean, I said it's not over for me personally because we're not able to get closure for uh, our story. But I think there's no closure for the October 7th yet. And we don't know what kind of closure there will be for uh, the war, right, which is happening right now. Uh, but in general, I would say that uh, the, uh, there is a division in the Arab community between those that want in and those that want out of Israeli political sphere. Some of those that want in are faced with this pullback from uh, forces uh, within the Arab community that are trying to prevent integration in the political process or higher integration in the Arab political process. We are also facing push out uh, from uh, people in the Israeli Jewish Zionist parties that 
do not want to integrate Arab parties. And then we also have Jewish Zionist political parties that want Arab political parties to be part of the coalition. So it, it's a quite a mess. There is a, there's a lot of turmoil happening there. Uh, overall, the trend is, uh, I would say, is relatively positive. I'll give you an indication of the poll that we conducted at Givat Habiva. In 2019, the support rate for Arab political parties to join the coalition among Arab citizens was 53% support. In 2021, it jumped to 57%. Today, it stands at about 80% support. So there is an increasing appetite in the Arab community to join the uh, political scene and to be much more effective and to join coalition. In the Jewish uh, community, the support in 2019 was 37%. In 21, it jumped to 43%. Today, it's uh, 56%. I'm sorry, 47%. When the opposition is, uh, is 46%. So for the first time, there's also support for this notion in the Israeli Jewish community and not just in the Arab community. I think that this mega trend will continue. Uh, more willingness of the Arab citizens, uh, which was reflected in the polls that we talked about, that with more identification with the country, it's more willingness to engage also politically and not just socially and economically. Uh, Yet I, I am aware that the October 7th is causing political hardening in Israeli Jewish society. More right-wing, the right-wing in Israel is going to probably expand in its weight and the political parties will break more to the right. At the same time, I think that the extreme right will get weakened and it's the extreme right that is most scary to the Arab citizens and is sort of fighting against Arab citizens in, in some kind of uh, strategic way. There, there, some of them, like Ben Gvir from, uh, uh, and his party, they're building their careers at trying to engage the Arab citizens in some kind of confrontation and delegitimization of Arab citizens. So there's a fear, a feel that although Israeli Jewish society is moving more to the right. The Arab citizens are moving more to the center. Uh, so I don't know how the, how the meeting point will be there. It's you know Arab politics is not in a vacuum. It is a, 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 it is Arab politics is not in a, a vacuum. It also uh, reacts to the larger Israeli political uh, scene. And if the Israeli Jewish political scene will be more inviting to Arab political uh, parties to join future coalition, I think that uh, parties with integrative approach will gain more power. If the Jewish political scene will be sort of closed club for the next session, I think it means that uh, the Arab turnout rate will drop uh, dramatically. It, it, it depends what opportunity the Israeli Jewish political scene will be creating to the Arab political uh, participation. Thank you, Mohammed. Those those numbers on the openness uh, amongst both communities to to future involvement of the Arab, Arab parties in, in coalitions are very very encouraging. Just wondering in, in that in that Aviva polling whether 
whether you broke it down amongst sort of age groups at all and if so whether whether there's greater or lesser willingness among, among younger people uh, for that well younger people tend to be much more practical much more interested in integration much more much more interesting in in effective political participation uh, not just vote for the sake of voting or vote for the sake of expressing our <coughs> expressing our anger and frustration, but uh, vote in order also to be able to generate uh, better jobs, better uh, employment opportunities, better educational opportunities, better quality of life. Uh, the Arab community has gone through process of modernization. Uh, and modernization in, in basically acquiring skills and the creation of a middle class that wants to live as a middle class. We don't want to work in good jobs in the Israeli Jewish society and come back to live in uh, Arab towns that are uh, in very bad uh, financial and uh, infrastructure situation. Uh, and uh, the more a mid middle class evolves in the Arab community, the more it wants to be similar to the standards of life available in the Israeli Jewish community. And you cannot accomplish those standards, standards of life by completely continuing to disengage in Israeli society, uh, socially, economically, and politically. Uh, so the higher educated you are, the better job you are, the more integrative you are. At the same time, we see that with the uh, lower income groups, uh, they are they are probably more angry because they're left out, and uh, so you see less participation rate, a lot of bitterness uh, among them. And that is exemplified either by voting to more radical political parties or not voting at all, which in 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 turn continues to weaken the Arab community. It's like shooting ourselves in the leg, uh, but. Again, those are mostly people that are of weaker social economic uh, capacity and uh, the failure to empower them uh, is coming back with a lot of negativity on the Arab citizens specifically because we weaken ourselves, but also on the larger Israeli Jewish society because that population gets more hardened and becomes more radicalized. Thank you, Mohammed. Let's finish. Um by you telling us a bit about what your organization and perhaps some of your, your colleagues in other organizations, what your focus on in, in the immediate term is to, to, to better integration and cooperation between Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews at this moment in time. Well, in normal times, uh, as pre-October 7th, uh, we are the largest peace education institution in Israel and actually in the Middle East. Uh, the first of its kind, and uh, we run almost 70% of the educational programs that bring Jewish and Arab youth and teachers together in Israel. There are almost another 180 organizations, but we we run almost 70% 70, 70 of the volume of those activities. Uh, so we also deal with the teachers training and we run a number of programs that pair Jewish and Arab municipalities to partner on joint interest projects. Uh, we work with the universities to increase the percentage of Arab students in universities. We work on diversity in workplaces and in integrating more Arab citizens in civil service uh, uh, administration in the government. And now in crisis time, uh, we're shifting uh, gears. We're doing more damage control 
to try to reduce the damage that I alluded to and spoke about earlier. So we're talking to the heads of the universities uh, to, to speak to them about what needs to be done to calm down the situation. Uh, we're talking to Arab students in pre preparing them to the day after the war going back to universities on how to understand the Israeli Jewish mindset and hearts and feelings. And once the Israeli Jewish students are released from the military, we're going to start engaging with them also. How to relate to your fellow citizen as a fellow citizen and not as an enemy, even if you disagree with them. So we're preparing staff and teachers and facilitators to operate in the, uh, in the academic arena. Uh, we already convened last week uh, a conference of uh, agencies that deal with placement of Arab employees in Israeli Jewish companies. We have 28 organizations plus seven government ministries that attended the, the conference and about uh, 120 top professionals in the field of uh, employment integration of Arab citizens discussed the problems, identified the problems that we're dealing with, and looked for practical solutions. And uh, we, we came up with about four projects that are uh, trying to engage the heads of human resources in the largest companies that employ Arab citizens and accompanying them with uh, occupational therapists and conflict resolution specialists that will accompany these companies to avoid tension in these workplaces, whether it is hospitals or pharmacies or tra transportation companies. Uh, we are also uh, working on uh, teachers training. We have uh, 2,500 cross-sector teachers, 2,000 Arab teachers in Jewish schools and 500 Jewish teachers in uh, Arab schools together with their host, uh, a teacher. Uh, we're talking about an audience of 5,000 people. We're working with them uh, on Zoom encounters today to facilitate the relationship with them to prevent a dropout of those teachers uh, uh, during this time. Unfortunately, we've already lost about 3% of the teachers and we want to try to prevent this phenomena from continuing. So we are accompanying them, we're enveloping them with uh, counseling, we're enveloping them with uh, presentations and talks that uh, tries to train them with conflict resolution capacities and conflict resolution skills uh, to try to prevent uh, a damage in this field so that we have less problems to deal with after, after uh, the, the day after the war. We don't want to accumulate too much damage in Jewish-Arab relations that it will be more difficult to handle the day after the war. We're convening Jewish and Arab mayors on regional basis to try to have the mayors engage in calming uh, the youth, in calming the situation, in avoiding friction between the neighboring communities. And uh, as of yesterday, we started working with the president's office on setting up a major conference uh, that uh, will bring uh, the the heads of uh, the industry and the heads of the employment institutions and the leading Arab mayors and Jewish mayors and the heads of the universities to a conference that already uh, starts the healing process in Jewish Arab relations and not wait to accumulate more damage uh, during the war. There is a day after the war in Jewish Arab relations. We need to be set uh, to do it uh, very quick, to, to come to it prepared. So we're training the, our staff, our teachers, our facilitators, uh, and the staff of other fellow organizations in the field 
so that we're fit to the task uh, uh, during the time during the war and uh, during the crisis uh, and the day after. Thank you, Mohammed. That's, that's uh, an important uh, note on on which to end. Um, these questions are all of great importance, and they're, they're, they are ones that we must keep a focus on. I hope you'll join us again in the, in the future to do so. Um, I'd like to close uh, just in, in once more paying, paying tribute to Awad and to his colleagues, Arab and Jewish, who in a in an extraordinary and, and truly humbling act of acts of sacrifice gave their lives um, in the service of others. Mohammed Dawashi, thank you very much. Thank you, Jack. I'm I'm really grateful that you closed with that. I mean, these are the people that walk the talk. I mean, we talk about shared society, we talk about interdependency, we talk about cooperation. Awad and people like him took it to the end. They paid their life for that. And uh, their memory uh, gives us uh, the light and direction to the fact that we we can live together and we can depend on each other and we can count on each other. Here, here. Thank you, Mohammed, and thank you to our listeners. We'll join you again for a, another Bicom podcast soon. Thank you.